Welcome to the Pharma Forum podcast. My name is Dominic Tyre, and I'm Pharma Forum's creative and editorial director. In this instalment, I spoke to Michael Smith, who's medical director at Galapagos UK. The affiliate was only established last year, and Michael took up his role in February 2020. So, of course, we started with the impact of COVID on both his role and the company. Then, with RNA-based technology hitting the headlines in recent months due to its use in COVID vaccines, we looked at the version of that that Galapagos uses and how it can produce compounds that might alter the course of a disease. You can find more details of this episode, including a download link for the podcast and information about other installments in the series at pharmaforum.com forward slash podcast. The Pharma Forum podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher, and Podbean, where you can find and subscribe to it by searching for Pharma Forum. So, Michael, welcome to the Pharma Forum podcast. Perhaps we can start with, um, if I could ask you to give an introduction to Galapagos and uh, the 2020 establishment of Galapagos UK. Thanks very much for inviting me, Dominic. Um, Galapagos is a biotechnology company that was founded in Benelux uh, 21 years ago and started its commercialization efforts in Europe in late 2019. And Galapagos UK was founded in 2020. I was the second employee joining in February. Um, the company's goal is first and foremost to improve the lives of patients with unmet medical needs. And we do this by using a novel discovery platform uh, to identify new targets for small molecules uh, to address conditions where there's an unmet need um, from current treatments. And in terms of your own background, it, it's, it was prior to Galapagos more focused uh, on, on the big pharma, on the pharma side of, of the, the, the sector. What, um, decided you, what made you decide to make the move from, from pharma to, to biotech? I think uh, two phrases stood out during the recruitment process. Firstly, there was an opportunity um, that my boss gave me, which was to join a company to build a department and have fun doing it. And also that our chief commercial officer said that what he was looking for was expert rebels. So people who had uh, a depth of knowledge about the pharmaceutical industry, but were interested in the opportunity to do things a little bit differently. Uh, and to try out different approaches. And so what does your current role actually entail, Michael? So my role is to establish the medical department in the UK. Uh, we work on a, a triad model of market access, commercial and medical. Uh, and what I've been doing over the past year is hiring a team of head office medical advisors and field-based medical science liaisons to support the two other functions uh, in preparing to market our, our first commercial medicine in the UK. It also uh, changed partway through the year when Galapagos and Gilead decided to amend their agreement. And we have also recently transferred over um, a cohort of employees from Gilead into the Galapagos team. And we're now in the process of creating um, a unified medical department integrating those two teams. So I suppose both in, in terms of that timing then, both in terms of uh, integrating the, the Gilead team and then trying to, to build up your own team at, at Galapagos, 
there were one major challenge clearly for, for a lot of that um, in the like like many of us you won't to, won't to be able to to meet many of your, your new colleagues face to face yet what can you tell us a bit about that and what what sort of impact um, the the COVID pandemic had both on on your role and then more widely on at, at Galapagos I think we had a bit of an advantage at Galapagos in that the company um, had already embraced new technology and we had just integrated uh, an enterprise version of Zoom into our office infrastructure before the lockdown started. So we were able to, to pivot to the virtual world very effectively. What we then had to adapt was the recruitment processes. So I had to get to use to doing screening calls by video, um, setting up virtual assessment centers where we asked candidates to give a presentation over Zoom and then break out into smaller rooms and, and maybe one-to-one -one or two-to-one interviews. So all of my recruitment was done that way. Um, I have had opportunities over the, the year to actually meet people in person uh, and reassuringly um, those real-life encounters showed that we had got the recruitment right and that we've got a good fit in the team um, and that we're working very well together. And thinking about that the, that um, sort of virtual recruitment process, uh, I imagine we're going, as an industry, we're certainly going to be seeing that continue for a while and maybe it'll be one of the, the um, uh, pandemic-imposed behaviours that, that continues with us in some shape or form. Can you tell us what, what worked? well in, in terms of virtual recruitment and I suppose or is there anything, anything you would do differently um, uh, another time with it? I think what works well is the degree of flexibility both uh, recruiters and the candidates uh, mean that you can schedule um, the initial contacts very easily um, because you, you don't have travel time to get together. Mm. Um, it's also much easier to convene an interview panel because you don't need to get all of the members of um, panel together in the same office at the same time. You could join in from wherever you happen to be. I think what we've learned is to have um, a plan about what we're looking for in the candidates. We've got better with our briefs on the presentations, um, made them more applicable to the role we're asking them to do, um, and also assigning individual tasks to the interview panel. So um, one person questioning, one person taking notes um, and using that against a pre-divined competency framework, um, I think has made the process a lot more robust over the year. And you were talking earlier around the, the, the triad model of um, uh, uh, expertise you're looking to, to, to bring in, but in terms of building your, your own team, what what sort of mix of roles were you looking to recruit? So I think we had that, that template of people who had the potential to build an organization, um, who had expertise, but were willing to, to try new approaches. Um, and we've got a mix of people. I did go for experienced MSLs, um, both in terms of time in the role and in the therapy areas that we were going to be working in. Um, but equally, I've brought on um, a completely new entrant to the pharmaceutical industry who joined from a surgical training program in the NHS. I think the 
key thing has been looking for compatibility as the team has expanded um, and each member joining has helped shape the type of people that we're looking for so that we have a, a complementary set of skills but also a, a group of people that get on well and function effectively as a team. In, in terms of that, just thinking about the, uh, about the, the balance between uh, maybe experience in, in the role you're recruiting for and then experience in the particular therapy areas within which they'd be working on. Do you give greater weighting to one or, or the other or um, is the decision-making process a little bit more nuanced than, than that? I think that the key is, is we're looking for complementary skills. So uh, someone with a lot of experience of being an MSL can give us insights into effective ways of working planning uh, and strategies for making contact with uh, busy healthcare professionals. Someone with a lot of experience in the therapy area can give us insights onto uh, the current treatment paradigms and the patient pathways. Equally, the new entrant from the NHS can tell us a lot about um, how things work within the system at the moment in terms of formularies um, and training uh, and where there may be areas for improvement there. And so we've, we've seen uh, RNA-based technology hit the headlines recently due to its use in uh, COVID vaccines. Um, could you tell us a bit about uh, Galapagos's own um, uh, work in, in this area with its um, focus on, on gene silencing and, and how that plays within drug discovery? Certainly. So Galapagos's platform is based on um, a concept of looking for chronic diseases with a, a major impact um, on patients where there are unmet medical needs. The first step is to design a, a cell-based assay, um, giving a, an indication of disease activity, and then using proprietary technology to deliver silencing RNA using adenovirus vectors to knock down individual genes in those cellular assays and looking for beneficial changes in the disease phenotype. Once you've done that, you can identify small molecules that can inhibit the same target, um, and then you can move into a more standard clinical development program um, looking for therapeutic benefit. And, and how are drug developers using this to produce compounds to the, that alter the course of a disease? So the intention here is to, is to identify um, a target within the cell where if you can inhibit the activity um, of a particular enzyme, you'll be able to alter the disease state um, and you'll be able to reduce disease activity. Um, and we're looking for novel targets which haven't been addressed by existing therapies that potentially offer an advantage over them. In, in terms of the, the process then of, of looking for those novel targets and um, looking at different ways to, uh, to, to alter the course of a disease, are, are there particular challenges that, that the industry can face in terms of then when it comes to launching um, more innovative therapies in the UK? I think um, that takes us back to having the, the triad approach that we obviously need to have a sound scientific platform. We need to have the, the evidence base, and that would be the role 
uh, of the medical department. We need to make sure that the information is, is conveyed to the right customers, and that is done with our commercial team. But of paramount importance is getting the market access, so being able to present value messages, mm. uh, to be able to navigate the reimbursement system, for example, to be able to present a coherent case uh, to NICE, demonstrating that your new intervention is, is cost-effective in the target population. And presumably that's quite a challenge in terms of um, novel targets and new innovative therapies. Um, how easy is it to, to generate the type of evidence that the bodies like NICE are going to need for things like RNA-based based drugs? The challenge is being able to understand um, the current treatment paradigm, where there are unmet needs, um, and to do that, you need to talk to patient groups and clinicians in the field to understand the patient pathway, mm -hmm. the current therapeutic options, um, and where they're looking for uh, improvements. You need to integrate that information as early as you can into your clinical development program, um, and also make sure that you have evidence from a representative population of the countries where um, you're looking for that endorsement by the reimbursement agencies. And how how uh, amenable, um, if, if that's the right, right way of putting it, would our um, H HTA bodies at the moment to these types of evidence? As, uh, do they accept that, that that's what they need to be looking at, or are they is it are they still approaching that area? I think um, actually another another beneficial uh, effect of the of the transition to virtual technology has been the ability to engage more constructively uh, with bodies such as NICE. Mm -hmm. um, we've been able to approach them and discuss scientific advice on our, our modeling approaches for our technology. And because of the flexibility that technology um, such as video conferencing gives you, um, it's been able to have a number of constructive meetings with them that, that have really helped us produce a, a submission which was um, of high quality and met their needs um, and led to a beneficial outcome. Oh, that's interesting. Do, do, do you think uh, we'll see more of those sorts of virtual meetings continue even when, uh, fingers crossed, we return to more of a, more of a sense of normality around how, how business is conducted? I think it does offer the opportunity both for the the applicant companies and the health technology bodies to be more efficient in their use of time um, and to exchange information more quickly, which I think will ultimately lead to better quality submissions, faster reviews, um, and hopefully quicker access to novel medicines for patients. Mm. So lastly, Michael, then uh, can you tell us what's next for Galapagos UK and, and I suppose also for RNA-based drugs? So Galapagos UK is um, in the process of commercialising its first medicine. Um, we have a refocused pipeline where we're looking at inflammatory diseases, fibrotic conditions and chronic kidney disease. And we're continuing to develop uh, a number of compounds in those areas. Um, and we're looking forward to expanding our portfolio um, to include both in-house developed products, but potentially in-licensed products as well. 
Michael, thank you very much for joining me on the Pharma Forum podcast. And that concludes episode 35 of the Pharma Forum podcast and my discussion with Galapagos UK's Michael Smith. You can find more details of this episode, including a download link for the podcast and information about other instalments in the series at pharmaforum.com forward slash podcast. The Pharma Forum podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher and Podbean, where you can find and subscribe to it by searching for Pharma Forum. And don't forget to visit our website to sign up for daily or weekly email pharmaceutical news and analysis bulletins. And follow us on Twitter, where we are at Pharma Forum. Music